Section 21 of the Book of Ghosts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. The Book of Ghosts by Sabine Beringold. Section 21. Mustafa. Part 2. 3. We were a pleasant party at Luxor this third winter not numerous but for the most part of congenial tastes for the most part we were keen on hieroglyphics we admired queen hatasu and we hated ramses the second we could distinguish the artistic work of one dynasty from that of another we were learned on cartouche and flourished our knowledge before the tourists dropping in one of those staying in the hotel was an oxford don very good company interested in everything and able to talk well on everything i mean everything more or less remotely connected with egypt another was a young fellow who had been an attache at berlin but who was out of health nothing organic the matter with his lungs but they were weak he was keen on the political situation and very anti-gallican as every man who was in egypt naturally is who is not a frenchman there was also staying in the hotel an american lady fresh and delightful whose mind and conversation twinkled like frost crystals in the sun a woman full of good humour of the most generous sympathies and so droll that she kept us ever amused and alas jameson was back again not entering into any of our pursuits not understanding our little jokes not at all content to be there he grumbled at the food and indeed that might have been better at the monotony of the life at luxor at his london doctor for putting the veto on cairo because of its drainage or rather the absence of all drainage i really think we did our utmost to draw jameson into our circle to amuse him to interest him in something but one by one we gave up and the last to do this was the little american lady from the outset he had attacked mustapha and endeavoured to persuade him to shake off his squeamish nonsense as jameson called his resolve i tell you what it is old fellow he said life isn't worth living without good liquor and as for that blessed prophet of yours he showed he was a fool when he put a bar on drinks but as mustapha was not pliable he gave him up he's become just as great a bore as that old ramses said he i am sick of the whole concern and i don't think anything of fresh dates that you fellows make such a fuss about as for that stupid old nile there ain't a fish worth eating comes out of it and those old egyptians were errant humbugs i haven't seen a lotus since i came here and they made such a fuss about them too the little american lady was not weary of asking questions relative to english home life and especially to country-house living and amusements oh my dear said she i would give my ears to spend a christmas in the fine old fashion in a good ancient manor-house in the country there is nothing remarkable in that said an english lady not to you maybe but there would be to us 
what we read and make pictures of in our fancies that is what you live your facts are our fairy tales look at your hunting that if you like is fun threw in jameson but i don't myself think anything save luxor can be a bigger bore than country-house life at christmas-time when all the boys are back from school with us said the little american our sportsmen dress in pink like yours the whole thing and canter after a bag of any seeds that is trailed before them why do they not import foxes because a fox would not keep to the road our farmers object pretty freely to trespass so the hunting must of necessity be done on the highway and the game is but a bag of aniseeds i would like to see an english meet and a run this subject was thrashed out after having been prolonged unduly for the sake of jameson oh dear me said the yankee lady if but that chef would be persuaded to give us plum puddings for christmas i would try to think i was in england plum pudding is exploded said jameson only children ask for it now a good trifle or a tipsy cake is much more to my taste but this hanged cook here can give us nothing but his blooming custard pudding and burnt sugar i do not think it would be wise to let him attempt a plum pudding said the english lady but if we can persuade him to permit me i will mix and make the pudding and then he cannot go far wrong in the boiling and dishing up that is the only thing wanting to make me perfectly happy said the american i'll confront monsieur i'm sure i can talk him into a good humour and we shall have our plum pudding no one has yet been found i do believe who could resist that little woman she carried everything before her the cook placed himself and all his culinary apparatus at her feet we took part in the stoning of the raisins and the wasting of the currants even the chopping of the suit we stirred the pudding threw in sixpence apiece and a ring and then it was tied up in a cloth and set aside to be boiled christmas day came and the english chaplain preached us a practical sermon on goodwill towards men that was his text and his sermon was but a swelling out of the words just as rice is swelled to thrice its size by boiling we dined there was an attempt at roast beef it was more like baked leather the event of the dinner was to be the bringing in and eating of the plum pudding surely all would be perfect we could answer for the materials and the mixing the english lady could guarantee the boiling she had seen the plum pudding on the boil and had given strict injunctions as to the length of time during which it was to boil but alas the pudding was not right when brought on the table it was not enveloped in lambent blue flame it was not crackling in the burning brandy it was sent in dry and the brandy arrived separate in a white sauce-boat hot indeed and sugared but not on fire there ensued outcries of disappointment attempts were made to redress the mistake by setting fire to the brandy in a spoon but the spoon was cold the flame would not catch and finally 
with a sigh we had to take our plum pudding as served i say chaplain exclaimed jameson practice is better than precept is it not to be sure it is you gave us a deuced good sermon it was short as it ought to be but i'll go better on it i'll practice where you preached and have larks too then jameson started from the table with a plate of plum pudding in one hand and the sauce boat in the other by jove he said i'll teach these fellows to open their eyes i'll show them that we know how to feed we can't turn out scarabs and cartouches in england that are no good to any one but we can produce the finest roast beef in the world and do a thing or two in puddings and he left the room we paid no heed to anything jameson said or did we were rather relieved that he was out of the room and did not concern ourselves about the larks he promised himself and which we were quite certain would be as insipid as were the quails of the israelites in ten minutes he was back laughing and red in the face i've had splitting fun he said you should have been there where jameson why outside there were a lot of old moolahs and other hokey-pokeys sitting and contemplating the setting sun and all that sort of thing and i gave mustapha the pudding i told him i wished him to try our great national english dish on which her majesty the queen dines daily well he ate and enjoyed it by george then i said old fellow it's uncommonly dry so you must take the sauce to it he asked if it was only sauce flour and water it's sauce by jove said i a little sugar to it no bar on the sugar must he? so i put the boat to his lips and gave him a pull by george you should have seen his face it was just thundering fun i've done you at last old musty i said it's best cognac he gave me such a look he'd have eaten me i believe and he walked away it was just splitting fun i wish you had been there to see it i went out after dinner to take my usual stroll along the river bank and to watch the evening lights die away on the columns and obelisk on my return i saw at once that something had happened which had produced commotion among the servants of the hotel i had reached the salon before i inquired what was the matter the boy who was taking the coffee round said mustapha is dead he cut his throat at the door of the mosque he could not help himself he had broken his vow i looked at jameson without a word indeed i could not speak i was choking the little american lady was trembling the english lady crying the gentlemen stood silent in the windows not speaking a word jameson's colour changed he was honestly distressed uneasy and tried to cover his confusion with bravado and jest after all he said it's only a nigger the less nigger said the american lady he was no nigger but an egyptian oh i don't pretend to distinguish between your blacks and whitey browns any more than i do between your cartouches returned jameson he was no black said the american lady standing up but i do mean to say that i consider you an utterly unredeemed black my dear don't said the englishwoman drawing the other down it's no good the thing is done 
he meant no harm. 4. I could not sleep. My body was in a boil. I felt that I could not speak to Jameson again. He would have to leave Luxor. That was tacitly understood amongst us. Coventry was the place to which he would be consigned. I tried to finish in a little sketch I had made in my notebook when I was in my room, but my hand shook, and I was constrained to lay my pencil aside. Then I took up an Egyptian grammar, but could not fix my mind on study. The hotel was very still. Everyone had gone to bed in an early hour that night, disinclined for conversation. No one was moving. There was a lamp in the passage. It was partly turned down. Jameson's room was next to mine. I heard him stir as he undressed and talked to himself. Then he was quiet. I wound up my watch, and emptying my pocket, put my purse under the pillow. I was not in the least heavy with sleep. If I did go to bed, I should not be able to close my eyes. But then, if I sat up, I could do nothing. I was about leisurely to undress, when I heard a sharp cry or exclamation of mingled pain and alarm from the adjoining room. In another moment there was a rap at my door. I opened, and Jameson came in. He was in his nightshirt, and looking agitated and frightened. "'Look here, old fellow,' he said in a shaking voice. "'There's Musty in my room. He has been hiding there, and just as I dropped asleep he ran that knife of yours into my throat.' "'My knife?' "'Yes, that pruning knife you gave him, you know. Look here, I must have the place soon up. Do go for a doctor. There's a good chap.' "'Where is the place?' "'Here, on my right gill.' Jameson turned his head to the left, and I raised the lamp. There was no wound of any sort there. I told him so. "'Oh, yes, that's fine. I tell you, I felt his knife go in.' "'Nonsense, you were dreaming.' "'Dreaming? Not I. I saw Musty as distinctly as now I see you.' This is a delusion, Jameson, I replied. The poor fellow is dead. Oh, that's very fine, said Jameson. It is not the first of April, and I don't believe the yarns that you've been spinning. You tried to make believe he was dead, but I know he is not. He has got into my room, and he made a dig at my throat with your pruning knife. I'll go into your room with you. Do so, but he's gone by this time. Trust him to cut and run. I followed Jameson and looked about. There was no trace of anyone beside himself having been in the room. Moreover, there was no place but the nutwood wardrobe in the bedroom in which anyone could have secreted himself. I opened this and showed that it was empty. After a while I pacified Jameson and induced him to go to bed again, and then I left his room. I did not now attempt to court sleep. I wrote letters with a hand not the steadiest, and did my accounts. As the hour approached midnight, I was again startled by a cry from the adjoining room, and in another moment Jameson was at my door. "'That blooming fellow Musty is in my room still,' said he. "'He has been at my throat again.' "'Nonsense,' said I. "'You are labouring under hallucinations. You locked your door.' 
oh by jove yes of course i did but hang it in this hall neither doors nor windows fit and the locks are no good and the bolts nowhere he got in again somehow and if i had not started up at the moment i felt the knife he'd have done for me he would by george i wish i had a revolver i went into jameson's room again he insisted on my looking at his throat it's very good of you to say there is no wound said he but you won't gull me with words i felt his knife in my windpipe and if i had not jumped out of bed you locked your door no one could enter look in the glass there's not even a scratch this is pure imagination i'll tell you what old fellow i won't sleep in that room again change with me there's a charitable buffer if you don't believe in musty musty won't hurt you maybe anyhow you can try if he's solid or a phantom blow me if the knife felt like a phantom i do not quite see my way to changing rooms i replied but this i will do for you if you like to go to bed again in your own apartment i will sit up with you till morning all right answered jameson and if musty comes in again let out at him and do not spare him swear that i accompanied jameson once more to his bedroom little as i liked the man i could not deny him my presence and assistance at this time it was obvious that his nerves were shaken by what had occurred and he felt his relation to mustapha much more than he cared to show the thought that he had been the cause of the poor fellow's death preyed on his mind never strong and now it was upset with imaginary terrors i gave up letter writing and brought my baedeker's upper egypt into jameson's room one of the best of all guide-books and one crammed with information i seated myself near the light and with my back to the bed on which the young man had once more flung himself i say said jameson raising his head is it too late for a brandy and soda everyone is in bed what lazy dogs they are one never can get anything one wants here well try to go to sleep he tossed from side to side for some time but after a while either he was quiet or i was engrossed in my baedeker and i heard nothing till a clock struck twelve at the last stroke i heard a snort and then a gasp and a cry from the bed i started up and looked around jameson was slipping out with his feet onto the floor confound you said he angrily you are a fine watch you are to let mustapha steal in on tiptoe whilst you are cartouching and all that sort of rubbish he was at me again and if i had not been sharp he'd have cut my throat i won't go to bed any more well sit up but i assure you no one was here that's fine how can you tell you had your back to me and these devils of fellows steal about like cats you can't hear them till they are at you it was of no use arguing with jameson so i let him have his way i can feel all the three places in my throat where he ran the knife in said he and don't you notice i speak with difficulty so we sat up together for the rest of the night he became more reasonable as dawn came on and inclined to admit that he had been a prey to fancies the day passed very much as did others jameson was dull and sulky 
after dejeuner he sat on at table when the ladies had risen and retired and the gentlemen had formatted in knots at the window discussing what was to be done in the afternoon suddenly jameson whose head had begun to nod started up with an oath and threw down his chair you fellows he said you are all in league against me you let mustapha come in without a word and try to stick his knife into me he has not been here it's a plant you are combined to bully and drive me away you don't like me you have engaged mustapha to murder me this is the fourth time he has tried to cut my throat and in the salle à manger too with you all standing around you ought to be ashamed to call yourselves englishmen i'll go to cairo i'll complain it really seemed that the feeble brain of jameson was affected the oxford don undertook to sit up in the room the following night the young man was fagged and sleep-weary but no sooner did his eyes close and clouds form about his head than he was brought to wakefulness again by the same fancy or dream the oxford don had more trouble with him on the second night than i had on the first for his lapses into sleep were more frequent and each such lapse was succeeded by a start and a panic the next day he was worse and we felt that he could no longer be left alone the third night the attache sat up to watch him jameson had now sunk into his sullen mood he would not speak except to himself and then only to grumble during the night without being aware of it the young attache who had taken a couple of magazines with him to read fell asleep when he went off he did not know he woke just before dawn and in a spasm of terror and self-reproach saw that jameson's chair was empty jameson was not in his bed he could not be found in the hotel at dawn he was found dead at the door of the mosque with his throat cut end of section twenty one